I'm, I'm spouting out some good stuff. Here. Amen. Praise the Lord. You are God's masterpiece. Don't doubt it. You look into the mirror. Don't look for ways you can improve it. You can't improve on God. Amen. Yeah, there's a wrinkle here. There's a wrinkle there and a spot and a blotch. But that's just, you know, that, that's just like you're, you're driving a, a Lamborghini down the road where there's some honeybees. You're going to get splats. That doesn't make you, doesn't make you any less valuable. A Lamborghini with bug on the windshield just means that thing's running down the road. And that's what you're doing. You're running, you're God's Lamborghini running down the highway. Amen. You're going to get some splots. But that doesn't cheapen you. Amen. Praise the Lord. What's the pastor doing? I don't know. I, I was going to come up here and just start preaching. So I guess I need to get started. Amen. Are you ready? I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll start with verse 4. I could read the whole chapter because it's all good. And what you need to do is go back and read it yourself. But we've been talking about covenants this month. Covenants are all about commitment between two parties. The covenants we've been talking about are covenants that were made by God with men. And it's a, it's a commitment between God and the people He's made covenants with. Throughout the Old Testament, God made covenants with Abraham and his descendants. And covenants were made you know, between God and the Jewish people. But along comes Jesus and he, he brings us into those covenants. Through the new covenant, the blood covenant uh, that Jesus brought forth, we all we all become part of that that commitment that God has with them, with man, yeah. and we are committed to God. Everybody say, "I'm committed to God." God is committed to me, and I'm committed to Him. Without commitment, no covenant has worth. Covenant means commitment. Commitment means covenant. You can't be covenanted. With something you're not committed to. We must be people who understand. And are willing to commit. Now some people may think you ought to be committed. But that's a different use of the word. I'm talking about being committed to the covenant. And being committed to uh, certain things. And I want, I, want to, I want to share with you this morning some of the areas where I believe we need to bear down on commitment because of the adversary that's trying to get you to uh, be uncommitted. See, your commitment is under attack continually. And uh, you need to shore it up. You, need to be, you can't just be uh, uh, lackadaisically committed. Those two words don't go together. That's an oxymoron. Casually committed. It's like people talk about casual sex. There's no such thing. The sex is sex. There's no casual about it. 
It's a commitment, and it's a commitment that bears responsibilities, and it's a commitment, if it's not done in the right context, it brings forth curses upon your body. Yeah, so there's no such thing as casual. We can't be casual Christians. We can't be casual covenant people. We can't come into casual fellowship or commitment with each other. We've got, commitment is the absolute opposite of casual. So you need to eradicate casualness out of your life. You need to be committed to everything you do. Or don't do it. Yeah. I mean, I was committed to that cake out there. I had two pieces. If you didn't get any, it's my fault. Uh, I mean, I thought, man, this this is good. I even told Ruth about it. I said, Ruth, you got to get a piece of that cake. It's the best she's ever made. And man, I'm committed to it. Matter of fact, I'm so committed. Ruth, get the recipe if she'll give it to you. If I was her, I'd put it out for sale. Amen. But I'm telling you, you know, everything you do, you need to be committed. I've gone, I've, listen, I've gone to the buffet line with some committed people. They don't get one plate, they get two plates. And they don't just put a little on this plate and a little on that plate. They heap up both plates. they got to get them balanced, you know. And, and then they come back to the table. You say, now this person's committed. Amen. You need to be committed to everything you do. Committed to worship. We need to throw out casual worship and get committed in our worship. Committed in the things of God. None of this is in my message this morning, but I'm just telling you, God's speaking to us. And and the, listen, the first thing you need to be committed to is God Himself. And uh, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now that's commitment. Amen. Listen, we need to be so committed to God that, that nobody can doubt or even, even uh, accuse us of uh, not being all out. All out for God. Now, if you're all out for someone, if you really love someone with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, you're going to talk about them all the time. Yeah. And you're not going to be griping, complaining, and whining, and criticizing. You're going to be, you're going to be singing the praises. And isn't that what psalmist said all the way through the psalms? Praise the Lord, all you saints. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in the sanctuary. Praise Him everywhere. Praise Him with the psaltery and the harp and the, and the dance and, and, uh, and, and the drums. and uh, you know, Just with everything that has breath, let it praise the Lord. The psalm starts out that way and finishes that way. And all the way through, He's always saying, Praise ye the Lord. If you love Him and you're committed to Him, you're going to sing His praises. Amen? Look in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus repeated Deuteronomy 6, 5. He, Jesus, you know, the lawyer came to Jesus and asked Him, what's the greatest thing? What is the greatest commandment? Or in other words, what should our greatest commitment be to? The greatest commandment means greatest commitment. What, what should be our greatest commitment? And Jesus said the first of all the commandments or commitments 
is here. O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. Is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There is no other commitment greater than these. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now the Satan and the world hate God. They really hate Jesus. They hate Jehovah God and they hate his son Jesus. And they are and they are on constant attack and war against your commitment to God and Jesus. God the Father and God, and God the Son. Believers throughout the centuries have been submitted to horrible torturous deaths and they went there willingly rather than betray their allegiance to God in contrast to someone like Judas who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver you see the contrast how many have ever read Fox's book of martyrs that's just a taste that's just a taste of how willing believers have been to commit themselves to God to, to the point of death. Laying down their lives rather than to, uh, than to renege in one bit in their commitment to God. And yet people uh, down through the ages in contrast, you know, like Judas, have, have sold their birthright for a bowl of beans. Have, have uh, sold out to this world for just uh, a, a promotion on the job or a little bit of sexual pleasure or a little bit of a, a drug of high they, you know, they just sell their soul out that's not commitment what would it take to drag you away from Jesus you need to send out a message strong and loud and clear today that, that uh, uh, nothing can take you away from Jesus you're totally committed to him, even unto torturous death. People have been burned at the stake, and all the while they're burning, they're praising the Lord and they're loving on God. And, and they, they refuse. Lions are coming to rip them to shreds, and they stand there, and their last breath is Jesus, I love you. How much do you love God? How committed are you to God? And then we need to be committed to God's word. You know, there's an all out assault today against the Bible you, you can hardly watch anything that comes out of Hollywood that doesn't in some way denigrate the word of God that doesn't falsely accuse God like the serpent in, in the garden of Eden Hollywood is, is the serpent in today's garden constantly saying well God said but that's not so trying to get people to doubt God in the slightest little bit. Because if you doubt God in the slightest little bit, the devil can steal your soul. That's right. That's right. Ask Adam and Eve. That's exactly right. There's an all-out attack against the Bible in, in the, the media, in the laws, in politics. Just recently, I forget what country it was, but there's a country in, the, uh, in Europe somewhere that's made it illegal to read the Bible in public. Wow. Yeah. 
It's against the Norway, Norway, one of those countries, one of those Scandinavian countries. It's illegal to read the law, the word of God, the Bible, in public. They did that because some well-meaning Christian believer was standing on the street corner reading the Bible out loud to people. <laughs> and they objected to those, the scriptures he was reading out loud. And so they filed a lawsuit. And the, and, and the government says, we'll, we'll just make that illegal. Yeah, I saw a, I saw a Facebook uh, uh, post today. It was a picture of a post hole. And uh, just the hole where the post used to be. And, and the, the post had been removed from that post hole because uh, uh, if, if there was a post there, it would mean there's, an, there's a fence coming. Mm. Offense. The post being there means offense is coming. And so they removed the cause of the offense. And people are trying to do that. The Word of God is offensive to them. God Himself, the notion of God, the lawgiver, is offensive to them. The notion of a reckoning day is offensive to them. And so they try to remove what causes the offense. Well, the Bible causes offense. The Gospel can be offensive to people. But we need to be so committed to it that we're willing to offend. Oh yeah! We're living in this culture right now where it's, all, it's almost like the mortal sin is to offend anybody. But Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring an offense. The gospel to those that believe it is the power of God. But to those that don't believe it, it's offensive and it's a stumbling block. But we need to be committed to the word of God even though it's offensive to people and they pass laws against it. Education. The school systems. You know, first they, 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 would, they, they relegated the teaching of the word of God in, in the beginning, the Bible was the textbook. Yeah, in the first schools in America, the Bibles, the, the first schools were in churches, the first teachers were the preachers, and the first textbook was the Bible. But then, you know, they said, well, instead of just taking everything out of the Bible, let's take our curriculum and let's put Scripture all over it, you know. So that when they're learning other things, they can read a scripture at the top and a scripture at the bottom, you know. And then they then they started putting scriptures in the back of the textbook. And then they just took the scriptures completely out of the textbooks, and they said we'll we'll have we'll have a Bible class uh, every day or Bible devotion, and then we'll teach the other stuff without the Bible. And then they said, you know what? Let's just let's just move the Bible class to Friday, and and we'll have a one hour Bible lesson on Fridays. And, uh, and the rest of the week, we're going to secularize all the textbooks and things and, and expunge the Bible out of those. And, but everybody's going to get their, their Bible fix in one hour on Friday. And then in 1973, they took it completely out of the school. Why? Because no, the Word of God offends them. And you can see that we're well down the road now. 1973 is a long time ago. 50 years ago to be exact. A lot, a lot has happened even worse. It hasn't gotten better. Now when you mention anything coming out of the Word of God, it so offends people they want to lock you up. 
So much for freedom of speech. When the word of God is taken out, so does so is freedom. Amen. And now you can't speak the word. You try to go down to the city council and stand up and quote scripture. Now there are people who are doing it, but they get shut down. They get ignored. Yeah, they get booed in public places. So we need to be committed to the Word of God. Psalm 138 verse 1 says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. You know what? You know what? God Himself is committed to the Word. God Himself is committed to His Word. He's, he's lifted His Word up and gave His Word preeminence over His own name. That's how committed God Almighty is to the Word. How committed are you to the Bible? If some other idea, some other notion comes up and is contrary to the Word of God, do you just dump the Word of God and go with the trend? Or do you reject the trend and say, I'm, I'm going to stay loyal to the Word of God. I stand upon the Word of God. Amen? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Amen? Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are you committed enough to the word of God to hide it in your heart? You know what that means? That means you keep it close. That means you never, you never let it go. You fight to retain it. You put forth effort. You can't hide God's word in your heart if you never read it. If you never hear it. One of the biggest blessings of my week is sitting here on Wednesday nights and having somebody else get up here and just give us the word. And that's one thing Brother Jimmy does. He just he 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 dumps scriptures on us. He organizes them and you know along a, a subject or something, and then he just he just he, he just spoon feeds us the word of God. And I can feel myself being edified. Amen. And I understand why Paul told Timothy, don't forsake or, or give more attention to the public reading of Scriptures. Why? Because that's how we get it in our heart. Hearing it, seeing it, reading it with our own eyes. Hearing it when somebody else says it. Hear, hear it when you read it out loud to yourself. Amen. Yeah, I, I'll sit at home and I'll put YouTube on. I'll go to that Dr. Ronnie Thomason channel. I'll put that good looking guy up there. And I'll, 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 I'll put it on one and a half speed. Or maybe two, two times speed. So it'll go by real fast. And go, you know, just say, and, and I'll just listen to myself preach the word. Because I figure if it was good for you, it ought to be good for me. And I, you know, I, I listened the last. I listened to last week's message about four times. And man, it blessed me, and it, and it should bless you too. But if you, if that's how you get it hidden in your heart, Amen. Mark thirteen thirty one says, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away." How long is it going to last? It's going to last forever. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but the Word of God will never pass away. Well, don't you want to hide something like that in your heart? 
build your life on that? You see the wise man, he heard the word and built his life on that. And when the storms came and the waves and the wind beat against his house, it stood the test. A lot of Christians are crashing and crumbling and falling away today because they haven't built themselves upon the word of God. They're not committed to the word of God. Mark 8.38 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, I want to tell you something. First of all, Jesus is coming again, and he's coming in glory, and he's coming with his holy angels, and he is looking for people that are not ashamed of him or his word. And if you're ashamed of him or his word, he'll be ashamed of you in that day. You need to be committed to the word. Next, we need to be committed to our family. Oh, you're talking about coming under attack. The family, the family unit, all kinds of family principles and, and, and things that, that, that were secure for thousands and thousands of years having to do with family are under attack. Even to the very point of they want to they want to take your children and change their sex. Mutilate their bodies. And if you're not willing to go along with it, they say, well, they belong to us. We're going to take them away from you. And it's been prophesied that in the, in the, in the near future, they're going to come, they're going to not just come after your children in the schools and come after your children in the media and come after your children at D Disney World. They're going to start coming after your children at your house and say you're no longer qualified because of your hate speech and because of your, uh, your commitment to God and commitment to His Word. Uh, you're no longer worthy of those children. We're going to take them from you and teach them like they ought to be taught. You say, oh no, Pastor, that's never going to happen. Well, it, it, listen folks, it happened 70 years ago in Russia. It happened, it happened 50 years ago in China. It's happening all over the world. You think, it, you think it won't happen here? we got the same devils up there running this country now. The same devils. And they're coming after your family. How committed are you to your family? How committed are you to your marriage? When half the marriage of the Christians in America end up in divorce. Now, one reason that that's so high is because once they start divorcing, you know, a lot of times they go two or three or four or five. That's what runs that statistic up there. Same people are getting divorced over and over again. But we still got a lot of folks been married 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, you know. Thank God for you. You can help keep the average up. But why is, why is divorce such a high rate in the church? It's because people aren't committed to family. Men would rather buy a boat and a motorcycle and, uh, and a little bit of skull and go out on the lake and fish than take their family to church. They call themselves Christians. They're not committed to their family. They, they, think, they think their commitment to their family stops at putting bread on the table. I'll tell you what, there, there's some men today don't even go that far. My sister was married to a man for a few years who would get his paycheck, go down and convert it to quarters and go to the arcade and spend all of his paycheck playing games at the arcade. While her and her kids were at home starving to death and had the electricity shut off and the water shut off in the wintertime. He's at the arcade. 
I talked her into divorcing his sorry, you know what. I went to court with her, held her hand, and he came over there and said, he got, I got saved last night. Would you please stop this divorce? Please take me back. I got saved last night. And I said, don't you listen to him. And I said, you get over there. There's your lawyer over there. You get over there. And I, I could see she was wavering. She'd done this about three times. Every time she'd almost divorce him, he'd get saved. Twice I led him to the Lord. But I'm telling you, he was sorry. He was sorry. He was sorry. He'd beat her up. He'd run around on her and have sex with other women. I told her, don't you dare listen to him. And she went through with it. Why? Because he wasn't committed to her. He wasn't committed to her children. He wasn't committed to God. He'd, go, he'd say the words. He'd say the words. I heard him say that. I led him in the words twice. When he was 50 years old, he died. But before he died, he said those words again. I hope they took this time. I wasn't there. But I'm telling you, the reason for divorce is because people aren't committed to their families. And wives can make the same mistakes. Divorce is something that ought not to be mentioned. As happening in Christian families, but it does. I know it. It, it happened. It, it's happened in our families. And I remember back when I was growing up. I, I remember I had a cousin that got a divorce. I didn't know about it. They didn't tell us about it. They didn't get up and make an announcement. So cousin so and so was divorced. I just heard my mother and daddy whispering about it after we went to bed. Next day, I got up and I said, "What does divorce mean?" And my mother says, "Go wash your mouth out with soap." And she did. I went in the bathroom and pretended. <laughs> but see, back in those days, there was a commitment to family. And I've told you many times about the, my family that I came out of the Thomason family and how they were committed to each other. My dad and his brothers, man, it, it just boggles me to think about it even today. They, they, they shared the same car lot for 35 years on the same corner. They saw each other Monday through Saturday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. They were there at the same car lot all day long with each other. And then on Sunday, they went to the same church. One time my mother said, you see those boys every day of the week. Why don't we go to a different church where we don't have to look at them? And he says, they're my brothers. That's all he had to say. They're my brothers. We had, we, it was an Assembly of God church called South Lawn Assembly of God. And we lived over on the north side of town and we had to drive by. We drove right past the sidewalk of First Assembly of God on our way to South Lawn. Clear across town. And I, I remember one time we are sitting there at the stoplight. First Assembly of God is right there, Brother E.R. Foster. Everybody loved Brother Foster. Finnis Dake used to pastor that church. Wally and Marilyn Hickey were his assistant pastors. Back in the day. I mean, that's a famous church. A lot of good things happened there. A lot of wonderful experiences uh, happened at that church. But we'd sit right there at the light, and my mother said, You know, if we were going to this church, we'd be there already. And my dad says, But my brothers are across town. 
In that church, if you said, Brother Thomason, would you get up and pray? About seven or eight guys would stand up and start praying. I mean, they were all there. We, we, we made up half the church. And, and, they, and, then, and then on Sunday afternoon, after, after our Sunday meal, uh, my dad would say, hey, let's, let's get in the car and let's go over to Sam's house. Or let's go over to Uncle Murray's house. Or let's go over to George's house. And so, I mean, they didn't even get on the phone and tell them we were coming or nothing. We just get in the car and go over there. And guess what? The Holy Ghost had brought the whole family there. The whole family would be over at the same house. And they'd be out in the yard eating watermelon. They'd be in the house laughing and cutting up. I mean, and then Uncle George, he'd look around and he'd say, you know, there's enough people here for a prayer meeting. And everybody just hit the deck and start praying until the window panes would rattle in the window panes. And, and they would just call out to God louder than we ever do in church. Then Sunday night, I'd say, we going to church? Daddy'd say, no. I'm tired. So he'd stay home. I'd figure out a way to get to church so I could see the rest of those Thomas. And Monday morning, guess what? They're back at the car lot. They did that. Folks, they did that for 35 years. Those brothers. They were tight. I mean, and I mean, when one of them, when one of them got sick, they were all right there praying. One time, one time my dad's brother in Kansas he used to work for Boeing aircraft, building airplanes in, in uh, Augusta, Kansas. And one time he and his wife were in a car wreck. And I remember my dad and his two brothers, you know, came, they came by and picked him up and they were on their way. And they, they drove all the way to Kansas, drove through the night so they could be there for their brother. I mean, you talk about family. They were committed to family. And, uh, but it's changed. It's not that way anymore. What's happened to our generation? Well, there's been an all-out assault against families. And we need to be committed to our families. Can you say amen? I could go on and on, but you know, uh, uh, if we're going to preserve, listen, if we're going to preserve the family unit for another generation, we're going to have to come up with some big-time commitments. Big-time commitments. Bigger than my ancestors had. Bigger than what I just described to you. Because back then everybody thought it was cool that the Thomason brothers were so connected, so united. They were a good example. But today they would be under attack for that. They'd be accused of being some kind of weird cult. How committed are you to your families? Well, what if you don't have saved families? Well, you need to be committed to getting them saved. Amen. Listen to Genesis 18:17. The Lord said, "Shall I hide from Abram, Abraham what I am doing since Abraham shall surely become a great mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him." See, God is saying, you know, saying that right in the right in the middle of his blessing of Abraham and his family, there had to be a uh, a commitment to Ab on Abraham's part to teach his children. Amen. The great commandment, I didn't read it, but in Deuteronomy four, the great commandment says that fathers teach your children. He didn't say give your children over to the public school system and let them teach them. It said you fathers teach them, and I don't see anywhere in the Bible that. Uh, 
God's ever rescinded that. He's going to hold dads accountable for the education of their children. If your children are falsely educated, then God's going to hold you responsible. You, not the public school. You are going to be judged for what your kids are taught. I refer you to Jimmy's teaching on the judgments. You are going to be judged for what your kids learn. If your kids are learning a bunch of hogwash in college, you need to get them out of that college. Quit paying that tuition. Get them out of there. Christian people send their kids off to college and their kids become liberals. You know what a liberal is? A liberal is a godless mind. They go to college and, and whatever's going on up there sucks the Word of God out of them. And you will be held accountable for that. God's going to challenge your commitment to your family if your kids grow up and become atheists. Proverbs 31. The virtuous woman. Verse 27 says, She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also when he praises her. A virtuous woman watches over the ways of her household. That's virtue. That's virtue to watch your house. Amen? 2 Timothy 3.1 You need to be aware that in the final days the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. This is the Passion Translation. In the final days the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. People will be self-centered lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. Anybody been to Florida lately? Florida is a state that's being heavily populated by people from the north and other parts of the country that are abandoning their families and moving to Florida to retire and live and spend all their, all their inheritance. There's this, there's this community down in, around Orlando called the Villages. Anybody here ever been there? It's a beautiful place. Uh, we were there. We, we were taken on tour of the villages by Gary and Kathy Hines. Because they live in Bellevue, Bellevue, which is not far from there. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's several different villages with their own little shopping areas and downtown area. And they're themed. There, there's a European one. You know, there's a Swiss one. There's a, an Italian one. And there's a, a Spanish one. You know, the Spanish one has Mexican restaurants and things. And, and all these retired people move in from all over the country. They leave their families. They leave their friends. They leave, they leave everything they've worked at and done. And they, leave the, they leave everything. They leave their home country. And they move to Florida to retire in the villages, drive around in a golf course, dance, drink, and party, and have a great time. And the villages have the highest rate of STDs in the state of Florida. Bunch of old people fornicating. They ignore their own families. They can't wait to get away from them. They can't wait to get away from them. In contrast, 
we have we have we have the armor family they 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 moved to florida they have they have grandbabies they have babies they become the grandbabies of bill and sharon and what do bill and sharon do they leave they leave nebraska and they can move to the, where their family is they're not going they're not going to be cheated out of their grandbabies you got to admire them for that you guys came to florida for a whole different reason than most people come to florida and oh no, you know they, they didn't they didn't move to Nocatee and let you know John and John and Lisa live over here on the west side. They they moved down the street from John and Lisa. They live on the same street, three houses down or something. That's commitment to family, and I commend you for that. Contrary to a lot of folks who live in Sarasota and places like that. Sarasota is beautiful, by the way. Don't. I'm not. I'm not dissing it. There are a lot of good people. There are a lot of good people. I don't want to impugn all retirees. But it's amazing how many people. Where's your family, New Jersey? Where's your family, Pennsylvania? Where's your family, Maine? How often do you get to see your family? Oh, once in a, every year or two. They come to Florida to go to Disney. Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh. And then you need to understand the Bible gives a promise in Acts chapter 16, verse, verse 29. It said, He called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul. This is the Ethiopian, uh, the Philippian jailer. He called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Listen to what they said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your household. Your believing on Jesus needs to be so such a commitment that it sucks your whole household into it. See, your commitment to Jesus needs to be like a whirlpool that they cannot avoid or a black hole they cannot escape. And because your commitment to Jesus is so total, they just get swept up in it. Amen? Well, he took, he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before him. He rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Household salvation follows commitment. That's right. Cornelius is another example of a man who was totally committed to God. He was outside of the Jewish covenants. He was a Roman soldier. He was on the wrong team. He was on the wrong side of everything as far as the Jews were concerned. Not to mention being a Gentile heathen. Amen? But he was a devout man. He was committed to God. Committed to his community. Committed to his family. Committed to He, he, he was a devout man. That's what committed is. It's devout. He was a devout man. God told Peter, I want you to go see that man. Peter didn't want to go. So God had to give him a few dreams and visions and basically slap him down and say, you are going. And so Peter went, not expecting anything. Violating everything he believed in. 
setting foot in a in, in a Gentile's home, Roman soldier's home to boot. Opens his mouth and just starts talking about Jesus a little bit, and Jesus came, and everybody in Cornelius's house got saved. Not just Cornelius, but everybody in his house. Saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. Peter says, what can I do? I can't argue with God. Who am I to withstand God? That man's committed to God. Peter probably thought, you know, that man may be more committed to God than I am. God loves committed people. Saul of Tarsus was committed. He was devout. God says, I'm going to get him on my team. So God meets him, you know, on the road to Damascus. Turns him around, gets him on the right team. And Paul was committed unto death. Amen. But it starts out with being committed to family. A lot of people have brought the, the gospel into discredit because they would go out and be committed to preaching the gospel and they've abandoned their own families. I know it's hard. I know it's rough. But I... I I applaud people like Adam and Julie Culp Amen. who go into India and Cambodia and Nepal and places like that, Myanmar, and they take their family with them. They take their kids with them. Little kids. Uh, half their kids were born on the foreign field. It's been tough. It's been rough. They've been criticized. They've been ostracized. They have been persecuted even by family members for taking those kids overseas. But they said, no, when God called me, He called my family. Yeah, yeah, they have to suffer. They suffer. Yeah, they, they do without. Yeah, they, but boy, what an education those kids got. They had, they had experiences you and I will never have. They're, and they're being sucked into the whirlpool. Believe on the Lord and you'll be saved and your house. Don't give up on that. Be committed to that. Be committed to your family going to heaven. Be committed. Say, this is my promise. I'm standing on this. I claim this. And I don't care what you're doing. I don't care how you're living. You may be a homosexual. You may be a transgender. You, you may be all messed up. You may be into everything uh, but God. But I'm telling you, you're going to heaven because God promised me that I, not only would I be saved but my household and you're my household. Stand by your guns. Be committed to the salvation of your family. Don't back up. Remember your commitment to God and, your, and to the Word of God. Don't deny God in front of your kids. Stand your ground for your family. And then next we need to be committed to our church. I'm preaching to the choir here this morning because the choir is the only thing that comes to church here anymore. Amen. We've had a lot of people come and go. If everybody had come to this church over the last 27 years and still here, we'd be a mega church. But people do come and go. People do live and die. People do have legitimate reasons and others just make up reasons. But we are what we are. We are a church. We are a family. And I told my son-in-law this week when we were in Orlando vacationing I said, I've pastored bigger churches. 
I've pastored, uh, you know, I, I've been part of a church of a thousand people, part of, you know, I've pastored church of 250 people, 200 people over my life. I've seen churches grow from 15 to 250. This church started at 84, now we're down about 25 this morning. That's okay. But I said pound for pound, I wouldn't trade what I've got now for any of those churches I've ever pastored before. When it comes to quality and commitment and faithfulness and dependability, I can't, I can't put this church up against any other church. And I wasn't just saying that. I wasn't just saying that. I meant it. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to start over with three hundred people that I didn't know. Not at this point in my life. I mean, I'd have to have, you know, three angelic visits, four visions, and Jesus Himself would have to stand at the foot of my bed before I'd go start over. You know, I'm about to be 73 years old. My days of starting over are over. Now, I still serve the Lord if He told me to, I would. But I would expect some really good results. You know what I'm saying? I would, I would rather, I would rather God just add to what we've got here, and they're out there, they're out there by the millions. I mean, they drive by our, 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 our building, uh, you know, by the hundreds of thousands every day. And uh, and God does direct some in. God, God brought, brought uh, our brothers back there on the back row. They were driving by, and God, God directed them in here. So I know, I know it happens. And God will accelerate that to whatever degree He wants to. But I'm telling you, pound for pound, ounce for ounce, you're pretty committed people. But having said that, we need to understand the enemy wars against that. He 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 uh, he'll stir up relationships. He'll, he'll 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 cause things to happen. You know, little family little squabbles and little family disagreements or offenses will come because there's a post here. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, you know, life does happen. The pastor's not perfect. He'll get up and he'll say something absolutely offensive to you. And probably not even know he said it. But the enemy is always working. He's always working against our unity. He's always trying to make our church smaller. And in the last couple of years, you know, we've had to deal with some inner church uh, uh, hurt feelings. Thank God, you know, you you being the mature people you are, you've worked it out. I've watched you work it out, and 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 it's this it makes me more determined to believe what I just said about you. But we've got to realize that we're in an all-out war against the unity of our church. The devil doesn't want this church here. He fights us continually. He puts thoughts in my mind. You know, you, you know, you, you. Jim Maloney. One time we were talking about it. This is where Jim Maloney went to heaven. He said, "How many years have you been a pastor?" And well, at that time it was like 47, 48 years. Now it's fifty-one. I said, "Oh, forty-eight years." He said, "Man, you put in your time." He said, "Why don't you just..." Why don't you just retire from pastoring and just travel the world with me? Now, don't you know that was tempting? 
Because I looked at his life as, you know, wow, he's, he's, he's all over the place. He's all over the world. He says, I'll tell you what, you go with me. He says, my ministry will ordain you as a bishop in our ministry. And wherever we go during the day, you hold, you, you, you teach pastors and you train pastors. And then at night, I'll do what I do and, and we'll, have, we'll have a great combo. He said, just let me know when you're ready. Oh, I never was ready. It was tempting, but the boss never did say do it. See, I, you know, I got a boss. But I appreciate Brother Maloney. I appreciate his confidence. I mean, every time I'd go to a meeting and attend a meeting where he was, he would introduce me. He'd have me sit on the front row and he'd introduce me as a member of his board, which I still am, by the way, and as his best friend. I'd go to his meetings just to be called his best friend. I mean, you know... <laughs> And I and I only did I know he didn't do that there, but you know how many of you know that that was a thought, a tempting thought. But because of your commitment to me, it that's all it ever became because I I'm committed to you. Amen. We've been through a lot together. Some of you, I've been your pastor thirty three years or longer. You've seen my good side and you've seen my other side. And I've seen yours. And we're still here. But we need to understand that's not automatic. The enemy cons consistently wars against our commitment to the church. And you know, a lot of the a lot of the attacks that are on the church today are 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 being uh, coming through church people. You ever hear church people say, well, you know, well, the problem with the church, I hear preachers saying that. Well, you know, the church this, and the church that, and the problem with the church. You pastors, you know, if you pastors would get on the right. I mean, on TV, you know, and a lot of these uh, programs, you know, you're, you're, I always, I hear that you pastors, you pastors out there. And, and they're talking about all these pastors that you know are not doing right and not not preaching the right thing, not standing up for Trump and all that kind of stuff. You know, all these pastors. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm a pastor. I was sitting across the table with someone who used to attend church here, and he he's sitting there, and man, he was talking about churches, and he's talking about pastors, and he was just running down. And I'm thinking, does that guy? Does he not realize who I am and what I do? And I thought, don't ever lean on him because he's not committed to the church. He's listen, folks. The church of Jesus Christ is without spot or blemish. The church of Jesus Christ is a joy, a glorious church. Now, now there are churches and there are people and there are organizations that don't that are not his his body but when you talk about the church you need to distinguish you need to separate any criticism of the church you need to separate it from the true church the true church doesn't deserve your criticism it deserves your support and commitment Jesus laid down his life for his church And I've laid down my life. 
for, for the Lord and for the church. And I'm called on to do it every day of the week. It's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. Why? Because I'm committed to God and I'm committed to my family and I'm committed to you. Amen. Praise God. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another with a fervently with a pure heart. And if you'll permit me one more, I'm, I want to talk to you about our commitment to our country. You know, patriotism has come under a serious attack. The powers that want to turn this one this world into a one world government and a one world economy, they understand they can only do that is if they destroy our patriotism, our love for country. See, we have to we have to be convinced that there's something really wrong with this country before we will accept fundamental change. Remember Obama? When he was sworn into office, he said, he said uh, uh, we are going to make fundamental changes. That was code for we're going to destroy everything you hold dear as a country. And we're going to reshape it into our own image. It was demonic. And everything that man did while he was in office and even since is demonic. And I'm not, I'm not racist. You see, they, they chose a man of dark skin even though he's not full blood. They chose a dark skinned man so that, he, he, so that we would accept him. A lot of Christians voted for him because they didn't want to be accused of being racist. Yeah. I know Christians that voted for him because they didn't want to vote against the black man. Yeah, I mean, the devil's smart. He tricked us. Amen. Now there were some good, there were some good qualified black men that could have been president and women that I would have voted for. I would have voted for Alan Keyes. Matter of fact, I did vote for Alan Keyes in a primary. I would have voted for some of those people. But this man, this man was was demonic, and he came and he and he's launched through him came this 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 torrentious attack is flood against America. God gave us a reprieve when Trump came into office and, you know, make America great again. That wasn't Trump's, just Trump's motto. That was God's will. That was God's grace. You know, let, let's recover some of what's been lost. But we're still going through that battle. To the point that we can go to sports events where, where people uh, will not salute our flag. Where we'll, they will not sing our national anthem. They want to sing their own national anthem. Well, there's only one. And I know it's got rockets in it. And it's got bombs in it. And it's got all that in it. But that's what makes America, America. Bombs and rockets and explosions. 
I don't I don't even get entertained watching a movie or TV if there's something doesn't blow up. It's American to blow things up. Amen. I'm joking. Well, sort of. But you know, 240, 247 years ago, this Friday, September the 22nd, 1776, a 21-year-old 20 spy for George Washington got caught. His name was Nathan Hale. 21 years old, spying for George Washington against the British. He gets caught. They take him to the gallows. They put a rope around his neck, and they're about to hang him, and they ask him if he had anything to say. And he said, I only regret that I have been but one life to give for my country. 21-year-old. And he said his only regret was he only had one life to give for his country. His country wasn't even started yet. It was just beginning. The struggle was just beginning. The declaration had been made, you know, in July. This is September. This is right at the outset. This boy didn't really have a legitimate country yet. And yet he's willing to lay down not one life, but many lives for his country. And men and women in our military and, and in, our, in, in uh, many other ways have willingly laid down their lives for this country. Amen. By the hundreds of thousands over these 247 years that this has been a country. Because of their commitment to the United States of America. And for those of you that are watching by video in other countries, your country deserves your commitment. Are you willing to lay down your life for your country? If more Christians would be committed to their country, their country might be more committed to them. Somehow, we need to, we need to make the impression upon our country men that Christianity is not opposed to the country. It's for the country. It's what's best for this country. Because when a country honors God, God honors the country. When a country blesses God, God blesses the country. And, and so we need, to be, we need to be God's emissary of blessing to our country. We need to bless our country. You don't bless your country by leaving it. How can you say, I'm committed to my family and then leave your family? And a country is extended family. If you were born somewhere, you know, you really ought to stay there and be committed to it. Now, I know this cuts across the grain because America is a country of immigrants. And, and God has so blessed America and so blessed this country that everybody in the world, they'd rather come here than go to heaven. Everywhere I go outside of this country, people come up to me and they're trying to find a way to get into the country. They ask me if I would invite them. Will you sponsor me? Well, I learned, I learned from John Osteen, you don't invite them and you don't sponsor them. Because if you invite them, you are responsible for all their expenses while they're here. If they come here and they run up a debt, 
Guess who the country, who the government's going to come to pay the bill? The guy that invited them. So I'm hoping, you know, that the Democrats get to pay the bill for all these illegal immigrants they've invited into the country. Let them pay for it. Let Zuckerberg and Gates and all those guys, let them pay for that out of their own pockets. Because they invited them. All these sanctuary cities, let them pay for it. Don't take it out of don't take it out of my pocket. I didn't invite them. My word to them is stay where you are and change your country. Now I know a lot of that is, is dangerous for them. They could get killed. They could be martyred. But are they willing to lay down their life for their country? You know, I've gone to places over the years. You know, I've I've, I've been going and going and going and going to places like Mexico, Honduras, El Salvador, Haiti. Places like that, and over over a period of time, you get to know people. You get to know pastors. I mean, by first name, you become friends with them. Now, I remember. I remember many times. I, I'd, I'd go on a missions trip. I'd go to a church that I've been to before and preached at several times, and they'd have they have a different pastor. I say, well, where's Pastor Jose? They say, Pastor Jose, he's in Miami. He's pastor of a church in Miami. I said, well, where's Pastor? Uh, Guillermo. Well, Guillermo's in New York. He's, he's pastoring a church in New York. Where's Victor? Victor's in San Francisco. He's got a big church in San Francisco. And then I would think, well, what am I doing here? If, if your own pastors don't love you enough to stay with you, why am I coming here? You must not be worth the commitment. Because I don't tell them that, but boy, I'm thinking it. To the, I, I'm thinking to the point I quit going to Mexico, I quit going to Honduras and places like that, and I start going out for, so far out that it would be a miracle for those people to leave their country and come here. Amen. They're trying. They're trying. You find them here. I mean, they're all over Jacksonville. I mean, just about every nation is is represented here, which is good reason for us to, to want to have a multi ethnic multi-ethnic church Amen. you know why why the separation why all the separation they need to come here they need to be a part of this church they need they need to assimilate into u.s society we need to call them to do that why because we're committed to our country Amen. listen folks if we don't get those people assimilated into this country and become actual uh, cultural u.s citizens then they could be a sore spot for many years and years to come because they have no commitment to the country. They want to be here, but they're not committed here. You know, they go to the Olympics on the U.S. Olympic team, and then they, then they in the parade, they carry their Mexican flag. Makes you want to just send them back to Mexico. I'm talking about covenant people need to learn to commit to their own country. If you're going to come here, you need to be committed here and leave your old culture and your old ways and your old weird wrong ideas back where you came from. If you're going to move here from California, you leave California in California. We don't want Florida to be California. And I'm not talking politics. I'm talking covenant. I'm talking about you being committed to your, to your community, to your people, to where you are. Instead of always be dreaming about going somewhere else. 
listen, we're citizens of heaven. That's secured. You have citizens in heaven. So you're going to go to heaven one day. So if you have to suffer and live in a poor country or in a poor state or in a poor city uh, for the rest of your life, it is a sacrifice you should be willing to make for, for their salvation's sake. Don't always be trying to better yourself and not think about those around you. It's called commitment to country. Amen? Uh, look in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 25, the words of Moses. Moses was committed to country. You know, he gave up the riches of Egypt in order to be identified and suffer with his own people. That's commitment to country. And uh, I was going to read the whole chapter, but I don't have time. Verse 25, he says, uh, in, in uh, response to God saying he's had it with Israel and he's ready to kill them all, listen to what, Listen to what Moses said in verse 26. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember the covenant. God, remember you're committed. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which He promised them, because He hated them, He's brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. You see, Moses reminded God I don't think God forgot. I think He was just seeing what Moses would do. Yeah. See, God was testing Moses' heart. Moses could have said, okay, God, I agree with you. Let me step aside. Go get him." But Moses was being tested. Moses was committed to God. Totally committed to God. But he stood up in God's face because of his commitment to his people. How committed are you to your nation? God told Solomon, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked way and pray, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and heal their land, their nation. That formula is not an American formula. That formula will work in Kenya. It'll work in Zambia. It'll work in Myanmar. It'll work in anywhere in the world. <coughs> we need to be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah is cupbearer for the king, but he's a prisoner in Babylon. A prophet of God. His job was to hold the cup for the king. Keep it full of wine. <coughs> he got word of the desolation that had taken place in Jerusalem. How the walls were torn down. The temple was destroyed. How the weeds were growing up. 
how that beautiful land was destroyed. Verse 4, Nehemiah 1, 4 says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those you love, those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded. Remember your people and remember your word. He's calling, he's, he's calling on God's commitment. You said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who de desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Now here's a man who's not even in his home country. He's a prisoner in a foreign land. And yet, he's interceding and praying and going before God on behalf of his country, his nation, his people. And through his prayers and intercessions, God restored Israel. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you what, one man praying the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man can turn a whole nation away from its sins. James chapter 5 says he can turn a man from the error of his ways. Well, a man becomes a family. Can he turn a family from the error of his ways? Well, God saves families, doesn't he? Can he turn a city from the error of his ways? God saves cities. Can he? Yeah. Yeah. You ever heard of God saving a city? A whole city? Yeah, in a day? You ever heard of Jonah? Yeah. God can turn a whole city in a day. He can turn Jacksonville in a day. If he, all he needs is somebody committed to their, to their country. He can turn this nation around in a day. When we think about all the horrible things that are going on around us, we think, oh, there's just no way. It's gone too far. But you understand, you need to be committed to the God who's committed to you. And if you pray for your country, God can turn it in a day. Amen. I mean, it's all going to come down to one day anyway, the day of the Lord. 
The day of the Lord is not a thousand years. The day of the Lord is not a week. The day of the Lord is just a day. But in one day, Jesus is going to split the heavens open and He's going to come down and, and He's going to change the world in one day. One day. That's the God we serve. So let's not give up on our country. And if you live in a different country, don't give up on that country. Amen? I'm not against you coming here. You know, that's between you and God and, uh, you know, immigration. And if you are here, I'm going to love you and I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to ha help you. I'm going to be committed to you. But I like it when I go back to some country and I hear someone like Louis Sorto, my friend in Honduras, say, I've had opportunities. I've been, I've, I've been offered uh, big Baptist churches to pastor in the States. I've had several churches in the United States ask me if I would come and be their pastor. But he says, I love Honduras. He said, I am Honduras and I love my people. And I, I, I was born here, I live here, and I will die here. I am not going to forsake my people. Amen. Now, that's the, that's the man I poured myself into. That's the man that we did things for and gave money to and took groups to. Why? Because he loved his country. And you know what he tells me every time I'm, uh, I'm down there? He says, thank you for loving my country. See, only a, a person who loves their country can thank somebody for loving their country. I thank Donald Trump for loving his country to leave his palaces and his golf courses and his opulent lifestyle and go through the hell and I'm not swearing the literal hell that he has gone through and is going through when he could just retire and spend money but he loves his country and he's committed to it and he he will serve this country to his death and you know it and I know it and I would rather have a man like that at the helm than some coward who sells his country out first chance he gets. And I'm, this is not politics. This is commitment. Amen? If you run with committed people, you'll recognize committed people and you'll avoid uncommitted people. Amen? If I'm out with a couple, me and my wife out with a couple, and I see the guy oogling my wife, that's the last time we go out with him. I don't care who he is. I don't care how saved he claims to be. If he can't keep his wife, his eyes off my wife, I'll dump him. He's not going to be my friend. Amen. I, guys, I know there's some women you just can't help but look at. But there's a difference between looking and ogling. Oogling. Y'all know what? I mean, when... Saliva is running down the corner of your mouth. You know, there's something wrong with you. Something wrong with your commitment. I know. I know it sounds funny and flat, but it's serious. It's serious. You don't hang out with uncommitted people. Amen. Praise God. Y'all stand up with me. I've gone. That, that clock is wrong. You know that clock says it's one twenty-five. It's not. <laughs> but it, it is after 12 we're going to forego the communion this morning because of 
the lateness of the hour. But I want you to know, communion is all about covenant. Covenant is all about commitment. And I want you to renew your commitment to God, to His Word, to family, to the church, and to your country. Amen? Just, they, all, they all go hand in glove. You can't be committed to one and not the other. Amen? I thank God for my country. And it breaks my heart. I'm like Nehemiah. I want to weep at what's happening to our country. But we're committed. Amen? We're committed to His salvation. And there's only one answer. And that's if God's people will humble themselves and repent of their lack of commitment and all their sinful ways. God will hear from heaven and He'll heal the United States of America. Amen? Father, right now, we make such a commitment. First of all, we love You with all of our heart and soul and strength. We love our neighbors, ourselves. We commit ourselves, Father, to Your Word. To hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against You. Because Your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Lord, we commit ourselves right now to our families. To the saving of our whole house. Lord, if there's one or two out there that are still straggling behind, we commit ourselves to reaching out to them and loving them enough Lord, to warn them and to pray for them and intercede for them and, and, to, and to show them mercy and show them kindness and show them love and forgiveness, but to not let them go into darkness without a warning. And we'll fight the enemy. We'll fight demons off of them if necessary. And Father, we're committed to the church. This church. And your church world over. But we're committed to this church. Not only for it to continue on as it is, but for it to become everything You want it to be. And we're committed, Father, to our nation. Willing, Lord, even to lay down our lives like Nathan Hale. A 21-year-old patriot who set the standard for American patriotism. Let us uphold that standard. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said Amen. 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 God bless you.